Well, good morning. Uh, can we bow our heads and, and go to prayer again, uh, just so we can start off with prayer? Um, God, thank you so much for just this opportunity for myself, um, God, to stand up before your people, before a body of believers, um, God, and just declare truths of, of who you are. Thank you for Amanda and the worship team just softening our hearts to be able to receive from you words that you've spoken. Um, God, help us deal with some big truths this morning. God, that when we, when we figure it out and when we, we get it right, um, God, we can see you in your uh, majesty, in your infiniteness, but also, God, how close you are and how much you love us. Um, God, so I, I just ask that in my heart and in the hearts um, of your people in this room, God, that we come away with just a sense of your love and the abundance of love that you give us, um, God, and that we can just know that you are with us and near and so near, um, God, that we don't deserve it, but you love us enough, um, God, to come close to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to be back before you. Uh, it's been a while since we talked about Jonah, and I was here on this stage, uh, but, but Charlie and Jared have graciously given me another opportunity to come and deliver the word before you, um, and I'm honored just to have grown up here and be able to communicate with you all the things that God has told me in this last week, uh, week and a half that I get to display for y'all and just a blessing that it is to spend a week, maybe two weeks, if I really need the preparation, which I do, um, just reflecting on what God has for, for this Sunday and for me. And it's just a blessing and almost selfish of me just to get to soak all that up, you know, in the preparation before even today. It's so good for just my soul to be able to reflect and reflect and be able to like concrete his word in my own heart. And that's, I think, something we should try and replicate in our own daily quiet times. And I'm just blessed to be able to do that this morning with y'all and to attempt to communicate what God has showed me about his transcendence and his imminence. Um, and, and before we get started through Psalm 113, which is where we'll be, I just want to say these things are kind of tough, and I, I hope you can relate to me in some way that, that God's bigness and theology and trying to understand who God is, you know, sometimes when I try to reflect on the, the nature of God, it makes me really tired, you know, and it makes me really confused because God is so big and just infinite, and I get tired head just thinking about, you know, who, who God really is and what he's trying to describe to me, and it makes sense that God is infinite, he is infinite and we are finite and my mind will never be able to truly understand who God is. But he has given us so much through his word and through his spirit that allows us to continuously with no end on this earth get more and more and more and more of who he is. And Charlie wonderfully set me up the alley-oop to uh, slam dunk into imminence as he didn't steal my thunder <laughs> like he said last week. Um, but, but truly there, there is so much to the transcendence and imminence of God and just I want to reflect on, on Jacob first before we get into Psalm 113 and his wrestling with God. In the Old Testament, one of my favorite stories that Jacob did wrestle with God. Jacob was afraid of Esau, his brother. He was coming and he, Jacob was trying to prepare for Esau coming to, to like ruin him. You know, he was afraid of what Esau was going to do. So he split up his belongings, hoping that if Esau came and, and took uh, and was angry and took away from him. He would only get half of what was Jacob's. He also uh, sent his family and his friends away. He wanted a, a night or a time by himself before Esau came. And he was anxious. He was stressed out about what Esau was about to come to do. 
And then this is where Jacob encounters a person who they wrestle. And if you know guys and boys, we like to wrestle uh, for some reason. Growing up in, in Jared's youth group, that was a thing we did. And it's, it's something about iron sharpening iron. Regardless of the victor, we like to wrestle. We like to, you know, prove our worth against each other. I am like, this isn't self-deprecating. I am on the frailer side of like, I didn't play football growing up because I was afraid I was going to get broken in half, stuck with soccer. No knock on soccer, love soccer. But, you know, the, the wrestling aspect, even my frail side, when I wrestled, there was some respect that even the other person had for me that I was willing to step into the ring with this person. And I think that's where Jacob is. When he's wrestling with God, he wrestles with this person almost seemingly is overtaking this person. He's overtaking God, and in, and in God's WWE mastery, he takes his hip out of socket, and you can read it yourself in, in the Old Testament, but God was never in doubt. But Jacob asks, he realizes this is God, and he asks, bless me, realizing his opponent, and God sees Jacob's want and desire for his blessing, and he does. He blesses Jacob. And I think that's where we're at this morning as we start to peel back kind of a little bit of, of what God's imminence is and how we should know that God is both transcendent. He is a, a big outside of our reality God. He is bigger than anything we can ever fathom or understand, but he's also come close in the work um, of Jesus and the spirit inside of us and also just everything that the Bible has to offer is God's nearness to us. And it, it sometimes blows our minds trying to understand that a far-off God who is, is infinite in nature is also willing to come close to sinful and broken humans, and it, it blows our mind. And sometimes it's, it's a wrestling match with God that we have to come into open-minded, knowing we're probably going to lose, you know, we're, we're definitely going to lose, but God is, is wanting us to step into the ring with him so that we can understand truths about him. And it's not easy. Wrestling is not easy, but it, it takes effort and it takes our desire to know more and to be willing to be bruised up and kind of be confused and to not understand it all. But we have to step into the ring this morning. And that's what I'm calling all to with me as we look at Psalm 113 and we try to understand more about God's transcendence and his imminence. Two things we need to understand about God so that we can praise him without anything holding back, holding us back. So I want to read Psalm 113 for us, just right off the bat, like Charlie did last week, just so that we know where we're coming from. So if you want to turn to Psalm 113, also on the screen. Psalm 113, praise the Lord, praise, O servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? Who is seated on high? Who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. So Psalm 113 has this kind of you know, start and finish that, that does describe the transcendence and the imminence of God that we see he is a God who is above, high above all nations and his glory above the heavens that's outside of our reality. But he's also with us and he looks and he is raising people up. He's lifting the needy. So there is this, this imagery of, of two aspects of who God is and we can all agree. You know, I think Charlie walked us through that pretty well last week. And that is paradoxical. We 
believe in a God who is paradoxical in nature, that there are things that we don't understand about him that confuse us and we stand back and just kind of have to like stable ourselves because it doesn't make sense. And this, this definition of paradox, I think, helps us a statement that runs contrary to one's expectations. And that makes sense. That really makes sense in my mind that we have our expectations of how life needs to be and God every single time is different than that because he's bigger than that and he is something we need because he is outside of our own finite way of thinking. And when we look at scripture, we see lots of paradoxes. Whoever saves his life will lose it. That doesn't make sense, right? If you ask me, how do I save my life? My first response is not gonna be, well, I should lose it. You know, that's not an earthly way of thinking, right? Can we agree with that? The lion and the lamb. Jesus is both the strong, powerful lion, but he's also the meek and servant-hearted lamb. That doesn't, you know, flow right with, with our way of thinking in this day and age. You should be powerful as a ruler, right? You should, you should not care about the weak. You should be uh, trying to amass authority and power for yourself, but, but God holds both of those together in the life and work of Jesus. We also see in James that it says to consider it joy when we encounter trials and suffering. That doesn't make sense to me, you know, as, as I've lived my whole life, thinking in an earthly way of like, oh, I should, you know, live for comfort. I should live for a good job. I should live for the best things in life. I should avoid the trials and suffering because that's not fun, right? That that's not the life that I want to live after. How do I consider it joy in the suffering? That doesn't make sense. That's paradoxical to me. And finally, transcendence and imminence. It's a paradox. Verse 5 says, Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high? Nobody. We have no comparison. It does not meet our expectations. And that is awesome. You know, that is a praiseworthy aspect of God, that he is a mystery, that he is above anything we can understand. We follow a God who will continue and continue to reveal himself to us and astound us and, and leave us amazed. And I think why we talk about this, this transcendence and imminence, the, the bigness and the nearness of God, why do we talk about it? Because we are in a world that is asking some tough questions. You know, we are in a world where... Um, People come to us and they question, why would God love a, a broken people? Why would an infinite, perfect God love imperfect people? That doesn't make sense. And there are questions that we have to be able to answer about the nearness of God and also his power, this confusing statement. We have to have answers for people who are just like us with our own expectations and are confused and can't even grasp God enough to where they can say they can trust him. So we have to be able to be willing to give the hope for the reason we have in both Jesus and the gospel, but also we got to step into some theology a little bit to combat a world that is confused. And even though we are confused too, we do know where the confusion stems from and we know that we're trusting a God with all of the confusion and that we can stand back and just live and praise him uh, like we just did in worship, right? With nothing being held back because who cares about the confusion? We trust and we follow a God who has got it all under control. We believe in a transcendent and an imminent God. And so the first question, as I thought about this week, walking us through how to kind of explain the nearness of God in, in my terms, in my, my own finite brain, um, I have a series of questions that kind of peel back a little bit more every single time that I have encountered in my own life, you know, my own doubting self, and my, also my experience with people who have come to me with questions about who God is. And so the first question is, and I don't know if you can relate to this in any way, if you've ever heard it, but did God just put everything in motion and leave? Do we believe in a God who, you know, is a God 
who has just set, he has created everything, but then he stepped back and said, hey, y'all got it, you know? Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna exist outside of y'all's reality. I'm not gonna step into your reality. That is a question I faced in my own life. That is a, face, a question I faced with people who have come to me seeking answers from like, oh, Mark, he's a Christian. He's gotta know this. I'm like, ah, uh, you know, I guess. Um, and these are, these are answers we need to have on the ready for our own, you know, personal conviction and also for the people around us who will come with their questions because I believe that's inevitable. People will always question God. They are looking for answers and we gotta be ready to, to give a testament because of what God has done in our own life. And I would say my answer to that first and foremost is the Bible. So before we even look at what's in the Bible, if you told me that the Bible is word of God, it's inerrant, no problem with it, it is, you know, without uh, blame, then I would say that is the perfect work of God, right? That he has given us his word and his knowledge. You know, he has peeled back the curtain in some ways to say, this is who I am. And this is what you have as a role in this whole narrative. And so the, the Bible is the word of God. It's perfect. There's no blame we can find in it, right? Because God has created it and he is perfect. And that alone means that he has stepped into our reality to give us things. And we see in Psalm 113, lots of verbiage that talks about a relational God or a interactive God, I should say. Verse seven, he raises the poor from the dust going on and lifts the needy from the ash heap, that's interactive, to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. So the Lord is high above all nations, but he's also doing these things that are, that are interacting with his people. So that's where I first go to when I think, yes, God is in our reality. He is an imminent God. He has stepped outside of his reality that is above ours and into ours um, so that he can interact with his people. And I think that's something we need to be ready to tell people that, that it is a God who is moving and interacting with uh, the earth and humanity, that we serve a God who is, who is around, very much present in what we are doing today in our lives. And that is kind of the first answer. And then the rest is, is the storybook of the Bible. We see time and time again, it's pretty easy to see that, that if you turn to any page in the Bible, you're going to find a story of God interacting with his people and having uh, a, a form of communicating to his people. And that is kind of the first answer as we look at trying to see what God's imminence is. And so I think that leads us to our first point, that God created our existence and took lordship over it. And that lordship is, a, is an awesome word that I think we should really take away from, from this morning, that he created our existence, but he also said, this is mine. You know, he is, he is over it. He is in control he has, he has set everything in motion, but he's also said, you know, this is mine. I will, I will take care of this. I am, I am above it, but I'm also in it to win it, to put God's mental frame of mind in my own words, which is a terrible thing to do, but I like it. Um, so God created our existence and took lordship over it. And that's the first step on this kind of movement towards seeing what God's imminence looks like even in our own life. And so the second question God's active, so maybe we can get someone to believe that God is present in our world, but does he care for us? And I've heard this one plenty of times, and you know, even when you understand your own brokenness, it gets hard to believe that a God of the universe and of existence would also come near and care about a person as broken as me, or a people as broken as we are, 
And that's tough. I think that really is tough. So, you know, the question that, that God is active, but does he really desire a relationship with us is one we need to be ready to answer when the time comes because people will have these questions. I genuinely believe that you will face them in your life because I have, you know, and I'm only 24 and I've been in some places where, you know, college is, is a tough place to be because everyone has their own thoughts. But I believe that everyone is struggling in some way with trying to define themselves and also what this higher power and what this higher being looks like that has created everything. So we need to have an answer for does God desire a relationship with us? Yes. And my first thought is covenants. God throughout all the Old Testament and the New Testament through Jesus related to his people and interacted with his people through covenants. And we see that the same God interacted with each one of these characters and these narratives through scripture that he has given us promises. And that is a very relational God. That's not just a God who interacts, but it's a God who cares that he has promised us things, us, the broken humanity, you know, the people who sinned against him and were separated from him. He made us promises ultimately, surprise, for Jesus to come at the end of it to be the ultimate you know, covenant with us that we could be with him when we trust in the work and the life of Jesus. And so if we run through it real quick, we have Noah, right? And the flood, and it, it wipes all humanity off the face of the earth. So God's covenantal relationship with humanity isn't always, you know, like roses and, you know, it's not always great and happy times, um, but it's God's care for us. So everything he has done that we believe, we believe through, through the Old Testament and the New Testament was because he cares and loves for us. And so through Noah, wipes the face of the earth, um, but promises never to do it again. And then we have the rainbow, you know, your rainbow that you know and love. That is a symbol of God's promise to Noah to never wipe humanity off the face of the earth again. And that is a caring God, right? That's a caring promise. A God who has that power to do that saying he will never do it again, is a relational God who cares about us and cared about Noah and his family in that moment. And moving on, we see that the same God of Noah is the God of Abraham. That Abraham wasn't going to have kids, um, but God brought about a, a, a lineage out of Abraham, Father Abraham, because he had many sons, um, just so that I could get it out of my own brain, because I knew it was going to come out in some way. So just to get that out of the way, uh, the same God of Noah is the God of Abraham and promised him a lineage to come out of him that would ultimately lead to Jesus. Spoiler alert again. Um, and that same God of Abraham is the God of Moses, who led Moses out of uh, Egypt and out of the oppression from the Pharaoh, the Israelites. That is a God who cares about his people, cares about uh, his creation. And he led the Israelites out of Egypt, part of the Red Sea, that's very interactive, that's a very caring God, to lead Moses into the promised land. And that same God is the God of David, who loved David, man after his own heart, who promised to bring up a Messiah out of David to eventually save his people, not in the way we think, contrary to our belief, because we thought it was going to be, you know, as, as the Israelites moved forward, thought it was going to be rebellion and awesome power that Jesus was going to raise up an army and take over Rome. But it was not that way. It was contrary to our expectations. God's imminence was different than how we saw it fit. And he raised Jesus. And that same God, who's the God of Noah, the God of Abraham, the God of Moses, and the God of David, is the God of us, right? The God of you and me. The same God that has been relational and caring for all humanity is still that God who presently 
cares for me and you and everyone in this earth. He cares and is calling them to a relationship with himself. And so my next point is the biblical narrative of God is of God's care for us and his desire for us to know him. We have to believe that, that all the scripture leads to God and his infiniteness, his bigness, the confusion of God that we don't understand, but also that that God came close and loves us and desires for us to know him. Why? So we can ultimately glorify him, right? So that we can know God deeper and deeper and then that joy can live inside of us and we can experience joy and we can also glorify the God of the universe. And then moving into, you know, just more of that paradoxical idea, you know, it's, it's very different than anything that the world has to offer. God has an open door policy, right? That we can come to him through prayer, that we can anytime in any stressful moment, any anxiety ridden moment, we can come to him with prayer and we can, we can posture ourselves and we can come before him, giving him the things that we are stressed with, the things that we encounter, and we can give them up to God. He is an open door policy. That's unlike anything else in this world. You know, even uh, whatever leaders you want to use as an example, they don't have the ability to hear and listen to every single person that they are over or that is under their dominion, their small, finite human dominion. But God is infinite and it allows him to hear from each one of us at any moment. He is an open door policy that is paradoxical in nature. It doesn't make sense to us. How could a leader be like that? It is unlike anything else, like verse 5 tells us, who is like the Lord our God. And that idea of God's power versus human power is, is really awesome, right? Like I keep saying, it's awesome, it's, it's sweet, it's cool. Um, words that don't describe God in its perfection, but just the only thing I can try and do. Um, because we follow a God who is unlike anything else and that he leads like anyone else in our world. And so that's why we should not be putting... And this is where we get, you know iffy because I really don't know a lot about politics or a lot about the nitty gritty about life and our country and the world. Um, but we serve a God who we can put our trust in him and not in any worldly power, right? Like that, that's an amen that we can all get behind before anything else, even in my mind that doesn't understand a whole lot in terms of the, the, the stressful and the like very nitty gritty of the world we live in. We can trust God first and foremost in every situation because we trust that he is a leader unlike anything else, that every other human power will fall short, every country will fall short. The United States, you know, America, the awesome America that we live in. Uh, I saw a street sign on the way to church that said, hey, don't speed, you're in Texas, you know, don't worry about it. That's what one of the signs said. It's like, we really like the places we live, but you know, that is imperfect. Everything that is human made is imperfect and we cannot place our ultimate trust in that. But we serve a God who is big enough to put our trust in and also near enough to relate to us as we keep moving forward. The next question that is, is really personal is what does God's nearness look like today? You know, me living my life with my stresses and my anxieties, how is God being near to me? Yes, I believe that he loved the people in the Old Testament. He loved David. He loved everyone um, the Bible tells us about. But, but how do I see God loving me right now because it's all about me? That's a, an existence we live in where, where people only want to know their own part in the story. And that's something we should have an answer for because God does care about our part of the story and he wants us to desire him and he is being near to us today. And I have the story that I can reflect on is kind of one of the hardest moments of my personal life. Uh, as I 
have grown up here my, you know, my whole existence, my 24 years has been at Park Springs, and I've spent uh, a lot of time doing dumb things, doing some things right, you know, but more dumb things than not. And, you know, coming out of high school, I really loved soccer. I wanted to go play college soccer. Uh, and that failed for me miserably. I had all my stock in that I was going to be a baller soccer player who was going to be walking around, pointing at people, and they're going to be like, whoa, hey, he's a big deal. Uh, I had all my hope in that. And when that was taken from me, I was left with nothing. And, you know, I believe I was saved very young on, but it was, it was a deeper intimacy with Christ, you know, through this trial in my life that gave me a sense of his spirit inside me. And, and we believe as Christians that, that God gave us the helper, the spirit to live inside of us and to dwell inside of us, that God is, is so near that he is inside of us and living out life with us as we move along. And I, I can trust that, that through that hardship in my life, you know, God brought me so much joy that, I, that was contrary to what I thought was gonna happen God brought me so much joy through his nearness. Uh, I, I have a huge testament. You know, I think Park Springs did a really good job in bringing me into unity or like close-knit relationships and fellowship when I kind of really wanted to pull away, when I felt lots of shame. I felt like I was nothing and I was really sad. And, you know, that the sadness, like, where does it come from? Park Springs did a lot in moving me towards fellowship and loving other people and spending time with other people. And I think that's the spirit working itself out in other people's lives, drawing me in near, like I can just give you many experiences where Jared called me like seven o'clock, college group is starting at seven and he called me and I'm asleep in my bed and I'm like, what do you want? And he's like, why aren't you at college group? I'm like, I'm trying to sleep, man. And he's like, get here. And I'm like, fine. So I hang it up and I book it over. And I'm 30 minutes late to the Nystrom's house is where, and they have food ready for me and the fellowship is ready for me. You know, as, as God has brought me into his presence and his people into a deeper sense of what his spirit looks like, going even further, I spent lots of time at the BSM. I spent lots of time growing and learning about him. God took me out of a situation and brought me into a place where I was going to flourish a lot more than in a secular environment where I was going to, you know, probably not live for Christ very well in, with four years uh, playing soccer, thinking I was pretty cool. Uh, and in that, you know, I really think that the Spirit led me into places where I needed to be and that the Spirit's nearness and it's, you know, God living himself out through my life led me ultimately to Laura as I, I found my wife at the BSM. Never would have met Laura if I uh, had gone a different direction and I can give that to God saying, hey, you know, your Spirit living through me really brought me into a place where I thought, oh, I could ask her out, you know. Uh, <laughs> When, when she was pretty high, you know, and she doesn't like for me to say that she was awesome, but she was, and I wasn't, you know, and I, it took a lot of growing, it took a lot of the spirit moving inside of me to where I can say that I felt a lot better after two years spending time closely with, with what the Lord was doing in my life to where it was like, yeah, I think I could probably ask her for coffee and see how that goes. But before that, there was no amount of me with that confidence thinking, oh yeah, I could ask her out. I need to spend some more time, you know, and I think the spirit led me in those moments to, to following him, focusing my eyes on Christ to where then I could have some other great things in my life. But it first took the spirit's work in me, his nearness, God's nearness in my own life to work me into a person who could have these great things and to have these blessings that I did not deserve. And so that is my personal, like, 
experiences with the Spirit and God's nearness in my life, and you have those same experiences, those ability to have the Spirit work in your life, but you, you just need to recognize what the Spirit is and how He's working. If we have accepted Jesus into our life as our Lord and Savior, we have the Spirit within us, and it is leading us to a place of humility, right? I'm not saying I'm awesome because I am a great Christian and it wasn't because I'm awesome that I could ask Laura out or I could even, you know, marry a a girl like that. It was more of, God, you've made me so humble and that feels like that's where I need to be. And so now I can move forward with my life attempting things that I couldn't do before. And that's the Spirit's work in our own life. That's the Spirit moving us to a place of humility, ultimately a place of following Jesus's footsteps. And we have that In our life, we see in Psalm 113 that the Spirit working itself out, just like I was mentioning with Park Springs and it bringing me into God's presence and to be able to understand what the Spirit's work in my life was, is the Spirit living out in other people. And so we have the ability to love on others as a result of the Spirit's work in our own life. God is a God who cares and seeks the needs of the needy. And we read that. He raises the poor from the dust, lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. That is a God who cares about those less fortunate than others, right? And that's a a God whose nearness works itself out in that way. And the Spirit dwells within us to love on that person we see who, who we think, oh, if we give them money, they're just going to use it for something else. Like, I don't have to give them my, the $5 in my wallet. I don't have to go buy them something from the store because, you know, I know better than the God of the universe. The God wants us to love on people. God wants us to see the person in our classes, at work, in our homes, that's having a rough go of it. And to sacrifice our own, like, oh, this is going to be awkward. And to go and say, I, I want to know about your day. You know, like, what's going on? How can I love on you? How can I, you know, help? You know, even if it's just listening. And that's the spirit working inside of us. And as we give the spirit more and more reigns, God's nearness, more and more reigns in our life, he is going to call us to loving other people. And that is very much an aspect of God's nearness is that he cares for the needy. We see it 7, 8, and 9. We also see it all throughout scripture that God cares about those who are less fortunate. And he loves using us and the spirit within us to do that. And so that's a call on y'all and myself to let the spirit work, to feel God's nearness as we love on other people. And that leads us to to the fact that God's lordship and covenantal care for humanity brings forth praise. And I love that Psalms 113, what's the first three words? Praise the Lord. What's the last three words? Praise the Lord. It is bookended with praising the Lord. And that is an amazing, an amazing thing that, that it leads us to is that all the stuff in the middle is something that is is creating an outflow of us that says, I can't do anything in my life but praise you because you are both infinite and you are both near. And so let's read. I've got a couple scriptures for us that I don't even think we need to spend too much time on because they're very self-explanatory. But Colossians 1, 15 through 16, you can turn there. And I believe that it will be up on the screen as well. Colossians 1, 15 through 16. He is the image of the invisible God. Get that. 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And it goes on in 17 and says, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. That makes sense to me. Verse 15. He is the image. Jesus is the image of that invisible, mysterious, sometimes confusing God. Jesus is living his, he lived his life out so that we could know about that God who is so big that he is outside and and blows our minds. Jesus lived his life so that we could know him and that Jesus lived with the exact same authority as that God, right? The Trinity, like we sang um, through worship, that same God, yeah, the Trinity. Try to think about that for a little while and not get confused on, to, on the topic of confusing things that we need to understand. The, the image of God is Jesus, and, and he lived that out so that we could know who God was. He is a, a reason to praise is the life and work of Jesus Christ so that we could know God and we could live with him eternally through the death and resurrection of Jesus and live life out abundantly with the spirit within us. Let's go to Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. I think these verses work really well together. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. We start in verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence, this is Psalm 113, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So that image of the invisible God we read in Colossians is the same high priest who is not unable to sympathize with us. He is the image of, invi- of the invisible God, but he is also able to relate to us. You know, that's crazy. The fact that the God of the universe is able to sympathize with what I'm going through is a reason to praise God because he cares for us in knowing what we are going through and he hears the concerns and the anxieties of his people and he wants to know about them and he wants to care for us in an intimate way. And that's God's nearness that he cares and loves you and desires a relationship with you. And the work of Jesus was ultimately to give you life and abundantly life, not just life, but life abundantly so that we could live with him in heaven eternally. And that is a reason to praise God. That's why Psalms 113 is bookended with praising God because all of this, if we understand it and we really get it right, trying to seek after it and wrestling with God, he's gonna prove to us that there's nothing better in this world than to praise him and to love on the people that he has called us to love on. And so, you know, just as we, as we look to close and to land the plane, uh, last week, Charlie had us, you know, wrestle a little bit with, with the anxiety, you know, the biggest obstacle in our life, the biggest thing that we struggle with and to, to weigh it against God's lordship or his dominion, his reign, his authority. And when we do that, we start to see that these things that we are living through that, that give us anxiety, um, that, that make us stressed are small, right? They pale in comparison to the God of the universe. And that's what Charlie asked us last week to, to find the biggest obstacle, you know, and, and compare it to the God of the universe who is in control 
and to see how, you know, those two work itself out, that we need to trust God with everything. But we also, that same hurdle, that same obstacle that we're facing, you know, yes, let's wait against God's lordship, but at the same time, let's look to see how God is walking through it with us. Because that obstacle in your life that you're facing, God is there in the trenches with you. And what did Hebrews say? He is able to sympathize with us in what we are going through. He wants and desires that relationship. So he is walking with us through it. So ask yourself, how is he doing that? Is it through trying to draw us into the scripture so that we know how to better tackle these things that life is giving us? Is it so that we can see ultimately our betterment at the end of this? That it is for our own good that God is calling us into these trials, into these sufferings, into these anxieties? Or is he ultimately trying to bless us with the things that he is drawing us to? Is he trying to give us something to the things that we, that are contrary to our belief? How is God walking through our experiences with us as we encounter them? So yes, God is, God is huge and big, but he's also near. And when we hold those two together, it, it brings forth praise. And that's why we're going to go back into worshiping and we get to stand before a God who is bigger than we could ever imagine and he's closer than we could ever hope. Let me pray.